Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, panic in the markets, fear of recession on the streets. If you're an investor or a homeowner, how worried should you be? Exchange-traded tracker funds, is now the time to be tracking any kind of index? Offshore trusts, how will new tax rules affect non-domiciled residents and UK investors? And we have some good news and bad news on pension annuities. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hello. So let's start then with the money news. And there's one story that no investor or homeowner can have missed this week. It's the biggest stock market fall since September the 11th, 2001, which then led to the biggest uh, emergency cut in interest rates by the US Federal Reserve since 1982, all on the back of fears of recession in the US. Steve, I think everyone's wondering now, could we suffer a recession here in the UK? And if that were the case, how would it affect the prices of our homes and our investments? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? The big R question. It's been the worst start to the stock market year for 25 years. You've seen double-figure falls in many of the leading markets, the UK. And and what's possibly even more worrying, of course, is you've seen a lot of things that were previously thought resilient come off as well. Things like oil shares, um, the emerging markets, this this wonderful theory of decoupling, i.e. the ability of emerging markets to continue growing while the rest of the world sinks into their swanny. They were going to save global growth. They were. They save were. Now we're this wonderful concept of recoupling, of course. Um, yes, it's funny so, how everyone changes their opinions so yes, quickly. Exactly, yes. So ongoing recoupling. But then earlier this week as well, you mentioned the, the emergency cut by the Fed. Immediately, the Bank of England, of course, says, um, oh, we're not going to take, you know, typically English reserve. We're, we're not going to give drastic cuts. Although people are starting to say, will it be a 0.25 or will it be a 0.5? Could it be even more come February? But then earlier this week, you had a rogue trader as well. So never mind all the systemic problems, the market problems, the fears of economic problems. It's it's what the old sages say, that a recession throws up all sorts of horrors. And this time you've had a rogue trader who has lost billions of pounds, billions of euros for the French bank Sochen. So, But strangely enough, of course, the immediate market reaction was to, to ignore it. Yes, In any exactly. normal <laughs> conditions, it would be, be rogue trader, oh my God, there's a, there must be another one elsewhere. But it must seem to 
private investors out there that there's no sort of you know, why or wherefore to the direction of the markets. You know, just yo-yoing up and you know, from one day to the next. But what's the message you're hearing from you know, professional investors, from independent financial advisors on uh, the sorts of sectors you might want to avoid or those you might want to be in even? Well, I mean, the, the first message they're giving, of course, and it might be a boring one, is the, the, the sort of corporal drones don't panic. You know, stock markets are for the long term. Yes, you're seeing these massive price swings. You know, you're seeing individual shares go up and down 3 4% a day. Um, and then the following day doing absolutely the opposite. In terms of bargain hunting recovery opportunities, people are, we've, we've talked previously about property. People are talking about house builders' shares, of course. So when I say property, I really, really mean commercial property typically, but house builders' shares in the UK as well, many are 50% since the beginning of the crisis last year. Yes, they've been hit hard, so how much further can yeah. they fall? But also, and we've touched on this as well, the big UK household names, those big fat blue chips paying big dividends, 6 7% now. Not necessarily the banks, as, as one wise stock market observer described last week as, as fool's gold. We really don't know the extent of the damage to the banks, the soft gen story, if you like, and the, the prospect of dividend cuts there. But oils, we're in a period of geopolitical uncertainty. Yes, the oil price has come down. Yes, the economy is slowing. But frankly, oil is a scarce commodity. So Companies like BP and Shell, some of the very biggest companies in the world, off massively this year. And there's another factor with all companies like BP is uh, that if uh, the UK economy slows, as everyone's expecting it to, sterling will weaken and therefore these companies stand to, to benefit from that weakening of the currency. Because they, their business is in dollars. Yes, quite. Yes. Exactly. yes, I mean, for all the talk of a weak dollar... One of the calls, for example, uh, said to me by one global strategist this week was to generally rotate your assets away from euro assets, whereas every holidaymaker knows the euro is incredibly strong now. Yep. So that insulated you last year. Euro funds were up 15% odd, even given all the, the problems uh, in sterling terms, even given the post-credit squeeze problems. So rotate those gains, those insulated monies into the US where – there may be a recovery story, but also there's a potential for a currency uptick as the dollar strengthens against the pound. For now, though, I, I think weaker currencies are going to be expected given the slowdown in economic growth in the US. But, John, just turning to the UK and, and Europe, how bad do you think the economic slowdown is going to be? I mean, it's very hard to say, really, and that's why the market is so volatile. Nobody knows. I mean, just recently, the EU has basically called for massive cuts in, in carbon emissions of 20%. But in fact, some people would estimate that in the West, we need carbon emissions by more than 90%. So doing that could have a massive impact on global growth going forward. And that presumably will, will just make it harder to see a recovery anytime soon. I know some people have been saying you know, the recession in the US, if it happens, could be quite short. Eight months was the length of the last one in the US but this one could be a little bit longer? I mean, arguably, the Fed has done this before in terms of sort of pump-priming the economy with interest rate cuts. But the question is, can the imbalances... Um, can you destroy the imbalances, or will there have to be a sort of period of change? Mm. Oh, oh, the bears... I mean, let's not forget the, the real bears here are saying this is 2000, 2003 all over again. You're going to see multi-year declines in, in stock markets. They're saying that, the, if you like, the pump-priming from the big central banks ain't going to work. They're saying that the sort of the bank problems are going to take a long time to come through. As, as John says, these sort of systemic imbalances are, are going to continue. And so we, we, you, you could just see last year, of course, remember, the UK stock market was still up. 
That's it could true, be, yes. it's not just 2008, it could be 2009, 2010. And of course, it's that sort of long-term recessionary effect that people worry about with things like house prices, of course. Yes, exactly. And um, I suppose one factor that's common to both companies and individuals are the very high levels of debt that have taken on in, in recent years. So for homeowners who are worried about the amount of debt they have and their ability to repay it, what's the outlook like? We're talking about possible interest rate cuts of up to half a percent. Mm. Will that help? Well, I think the mortgage market, you know, like the housing market, you can't say it's not a one-size-fits-all. If you're a prime borrower in work, not too high loan to value, in a tracker mortgage, brilliant. Bring on those base rate cuts. Of course, if you're in a fixed rate, you know, you're protected either way. The problem is around the edges, and, and by which I mean the... You know, everyone has heard about subprime borrowers. Those pe- and subprime borrowers clearly aren't going to see the full benefit of base rate reductions in, in general. All those people coming off low fixed rates of as little as 4%, we've mentioned them before, could see interest rate rises and therefore mortgage interest payment rises of 50%. Now, some of these people will be very stretched. So it does very much depend on where you are. You know, you walk down Acacia Avenue, everyone lives in the same house. You've no idea who's on the edge and who's sitting pretty. Yeah, and there are over a million of these people in Acacia Avenue coming off these fixed rates this very year. So we will um, obviously come back to... uh, interest rates in the weeks ahead and you can read all the latest advice for uh, both stock market uh, investors and mortgage borrowers in this week's FT Money in the weekend FT on the 26th and 27th of January and online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions about any of these subjects by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, offshore trusts, the new tax rules on investments held outside the UK. And we have some good news and bad news on pensions for smokers. But first, exchange-traded funds, or ETFs. Now, we've mentioned these low-cost index tracking investments many times on the FT Money Show because they're a simple and cost-effective way to profit from rising stock market indices and from rising prices of gold and other commodities. But with global equity markets at least down 10% or more from their recent peaks, is this now a risk or an opportunity? Well, John McLeod from Investors Chronicle discussed the pros and cons of ETFs with Manuj Mystery of Deutsche Bank. Manuj, index trackers are ideal in a rising market, but would investors be able to use them in a falling market or would they just make losses that way? Uh, With the advent of short ETFs, uh, investors now have a tool which allows them to take advantage of falling markets. Uh, What we at Deutsche Bank have developed is uh, two short ETFs which provide the inverse exposure to the performance of the regular or the long index. So what you have is an index that, if if assuming the um, the long index falls by 1%, the short index will rise by 1%. So basically investors can take advantage of any falls by buying this short ETF and getting a rise, an increase in the performance. You will bring these to the UK later in the year? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we plan to uh, bring a number of these short ETFs during the first quarter of uh, 2008. And are there other types of ETFs that you could use in a bear market that would diversify away from kind of main market exposure? Um, yes. Uh, the beautiful thing is that uh, with the ETF market, there are quite a lot of products out there. So investors actually have a good range of products which would allow them to diversify away from um, the main main market exposure. So, for example, Deutsche Bank uh, launched uh, 
the first ETFs on money market indices. And uh, by money market indices, I mean an ETF that tracks the overnight interest average uh, rate of a particular currency. So in the relaunched in the Eurozone, and an ETF on the Eonia money market rate. And uh, there, the product uh, tracks the Euro overnight interest average rate and get an exposure to that. And uh, what we will be doing is uh, launching similar products, offering the equivalent exposure on sterling, which would be called Sonia, and also on the US uh, dollar, which would be called the Fed Fund. And uh, these money market ETFs uh, provide investors with an ideal way in which, if they are worried about falling markets, they can invest into this and earn an attractive rate of interest uh, while they await for markets to recover. And what about diversifying into different regions and asset classes? Certainly, uh, one one way you can uh, diversify is um, a successful way of, you could have diversified during 2007 was to invest in emerging markets. Emerging markets performed strongly during 2007, outperforming all the sort of the established or developed markets. So that's one way you could diversify is having allocating a proportion of your portfolio to uh, emerging market ETFs. Another way you can diversify is investing into uh, different types of strategy ETFs. So, for example, dividend ETFs, where rather than the index components being weighted by market capitalization, they are weighted by dividend yield. And what we found is that with these type of strategies, uh, you can also outperform in falling markets. And uh, Deutsche Bank has two products on this, one on a global basket of stocks and a euro basket of stocks as well. John, uh, Manoj Mystery of Deutsche Bank was making the point that ETFs are a very good low-cost way of diversifying into emerging market equities, also you know, into particular equity strategies, you know, the, the, the dividend ETF that he was talking about there. But, but surely if you want to diversify, you need to go beyond equities, beyond shares. Well, I recorded the interview with Manoj before the emerging markets crashed this week along with the, the, the development markets. And I think the point to be made is that just investing in equities doesn't really give you full diversification. There's a strong correlation between different markets. But with the range of ETFs that are available in the UK, there are now 112 ETFs and 53 exchange-traded commodities. And you can actually diversify into different asset classes. You can hold gilts, commercial property, um, corporate bonds, private equity, specialist funds investing in clean energy and water. So things that might have a different correlation, and obviously commodities as well, the, the ETCs. So things that really could diversify away from equities. So it doesn't matter that emerging markets are falling faster than Western markets or Western equity markets. You can build a low-cost portfolio with five or six different ETFs on different asset classes. Provided you diversify. And as we've talked in the past about gold uh, ETFs being a great way to capture that sort of upside. Do you think there is more profit to be had from some of these other asset classes at the moment, not just gold, but say agricultural commodities, which you can trade ETFs on, or, or even sort of conventional industrial commodities? There's a long-term story with agricultural commodities because of population growth and limitations on land supply. Metals and oils could be linked to global growth. So on the one hand, you've got supply problems potentially, but on the other hand, if global growth slows, prices could fall there. I mean, emerging markets and commodities tend to be quite correlated and again they're correlated with developing kind of global growth and developed markets. I suppose the point you make about agricultural commodities is a good one because we've seen food prices rising and uh, demand increasing from a lot of the emerging economies where this this growing middle class are they are literally changing their diet to a more western diet so that's you see that as a longer term uh, story and longer term investment opportunity. 
they might have to, might have to change the diet's back if, if they lose their jobs because they're not exporting to the US anymore, if, if things get really bad. That's very but true. the world population is expected to project to um, grow by 50% between now and 2050, from 6 billion to 9 billion. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on food prices, given that land is limited, and that land might need to be used for offsetting for carbon as well. Well, it sounds like uh, exchange-traded funds and exchange-traded commodities are going to uh, certainly offer opportunity in that particular area. So um, if you'd like to know more about all kinds of exchange-traded funds, uh, look out for John's feature, which will be in Investors Chronicle, on sale on the 1st of February. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on pension annuities for that dwindling band of smokers. Before that, though, more changes to the tax rules. This week we've heard more about changes to capital gains tax, but what about how that affects offshore trusts that have been used by non-domiciled residents? Well, Ellen Kelleher uh, of FT Money is our resident expert on this particular subject, and she put in a call to John Whiting of PwC to get the details. The benefits of trust have diminished over the years, but what are the main purposes now for Brits who are looking to set up trusts? Historically, trusts were used um, in part for commercial reasons and partly for tax reasons, but to a large extent, the tax reasons have now disappeared. There's been successive changes in the rules. Uh, In particular, in 2006, the Chancellor introduced some much more difficult rules in relation to inheritance tax, which has really made uh, the use of trusts for tax planning very, very difficult. They're still useful for straightforward commercial reasons. Uh, For example, if you want to leave some money for your children and you'd like to get, you know, £100,000 or something out of your estate for your children, but you don't want to give it to them directly because you don't want them to uh, be able to spend it, then you can put it in trust and it gives a sort of barrier between you and your children. Uh, You often find trust being set up on second marriages. So, for example, someone writes under the terms of their will that they would actually like to leave some money to their second wife, if you like, to give her an income, but they'd like to make sure that the benefit of the capital goes to the children of the first marriage. Now, you've got to be careful about planning for the tax treatment of that if the amounts that you're leaving are are in excess of the no-rate ban for inheritance tax. But the trust then provides a useful function because it it effectively ensures that the person knows where the capital is going to go and um, he or she may not want to leave it directly to the children because, you know, you've got a widow, for example, you want to look after. So why do you think the revenue has taken such an aggressive stance and cracked down on trusts? Well, it's not, it's not the revenue, it's the government. And, and in fairness, Labour governments have always been opposed to trusts. Uh, in 1975, uh, when they first introduced what was then called capital transfer tax, it, it specifically penalised the use of trusts. And uh, the current uh, Labour government have also seen trusts as, as a vehicle which has been used by lawyers and accountants for saving tax, and they don't like it. They don't think that that's fair to the general population. So uh, they've progressively clamped down on the way they've been used. Particularly wealthy families have historically used trusts as a way of holding wealth and passing it down to the, the next generation. Traditionally, you'd find landed estates being owned by trusts, and then the trust's life interest would be passed down the generation, but the ownership of the asset wouldn't change. So 
So the revenue would finish up not getting any capital gains tax because there wouldn't be a disposal, but nor would there be any inheritance tax because it, the life interest would be transferred more than seven years before death was expected, and so the revenue wouldn't collect any tax. So that's now been changed, and serial life interests are now caught for inheritance tax. That's really interesting. Uh, I mean, foreigners used, living in the UK used to use trucks uh, quite frequently to manage their affairs. Uh, and recently, the revenue has moved to crack down on some of those privileges as well. Can you describe some of the changes that they've introduced? Yes. Uh, until this year, offshore trusts have been very useful planning mechanisms for people who come from overseas, who would normally refer to as non-domiciled individuals. And such individuals have been treated very, very favourably by the tax rules because they could effectively avoid paying UK tax on anything except UK source earnings or income from investments in the UK. And what traditionally everybody did was to set up offshore trusts and own all their assets through an offshore trust because it simply kept everything outside the UK tax net, even if the assets were owned in the UK. And in particular, someone who's non-domiciled could own assets through an offshore trust, make a capital gain, even on UK assets, and be able to bring that into the UK free of capital gains tax. Now, the Chancellor has said that he doesn't think that that's fair. There's been a, a large crackdown on the rules on offshore trusts, but also on the general treatment of non-domiciled individuals. And under the proposals that are due to become law in the next uh, Finance Act, non-domiciled individuals will be taxed essentially in the same way as UK domiciled individuals unless they pay a £30,000 levy. But even if they pay that £30,000 levy, it doesn't take them back to the position that they were before because the generous treatment afforded to offshore trusts for non-domiciled beneficiaries is going to go completely. So uh, even if you've got uh, someone who's paying the £30,000 levy and they've got their money in an offshore trust, it is effectively going to be taxable unless uh, it's offshore assets in the offshore trust and those offshore assets remain in the offshore trust. So will any foreigners living in the UK continue to use trusts I think the very wealthy will, because if you're very wealthy and you've got money in a trust and maybe you make capital gain in a trust, you don't necessarily need that money to live on. So if you're prepared to use your trust as a mechanism for holding family wealth and you want to be able to make capital gains and you want to essentially invest in overseas assets but you would like to make those capital gains and not have them caught for tax purposes, then people may well continue to set up offshore trusts for that purpose, but it's going to be considerably more restrictive. It may be that existing trusts will continue, but the number of new trusts being set up, I think, uh, will reduce considerably. And, and that, of course, is exactly what the Chancellor wants. And that was Ellen Kelleher talking to John Whiting of PwC. And for more details of those tax changes, uh, look out for the articles in this week's FT Money with the weekend FT on the 26th and 27th of January. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on pension annuities. Um, now, Steve, for those foolish individuals who still stand outside buildings smoking cigarettes, and frankly, in this day and age, I don't know what possesses them to do that, um, there is some short-lived, literally, uh, good news. Short-lived, yes, Matthew, for hardened smokers like yourselves. Um, I neither confirm nor deny the allegation being made, in case my mum's listening. 
defined, I say hardened smokers, defined by 10 a day for the last 10 years. To me, that sounds quite moderate. <laughs> Partnership, a specialist life insurer is offering enhanced annuity rates, pension annuity rates, so when you convert your pension fund into a lifetime income. The rates they claim, and various advisors uh, support their claims, are up to 20% higher than even existing smokers' rates. Now, why are annuity providers prepared to pay enhanced rates? Because, sorry to say, Matthew, they say that smokers will have a lower life expectancy as much as six to eight years, less than average. That's Um, the bad news in this, isn't it? That was the good news. Oh, that's the good news. The, 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 there's, sorry, the, there's even worse the, news. The good news is the higher rates. Now, but, but of yeah. course, the really good news, of course, in this is that the canny, financially savvy smoker who will be listening to us now will say, aha, I've been a hardened smoker. I'll lock into these high annuity rates now and I'll immediately give up and change my lifestyle. And therefore, I will get these higher annuity payments for life, higher than all those boring, healthy people. And, of course, the obvious incentive that they might live six to eight years more, although it might be too late. That's the thing, though, isn't it? It's when you stop. Um, This sounds to me like a a very simple calculation on life expectancy, which is basically what annuities are all Mm. about. But for this company to be able to offer 20% more than Mm. is currently available, that's either a very gloomy prognosis for smokers or... I don't know, they're taking a bit of a financial risk. Well, the bad news, the bad news, or if you like, more good news if you want to hire annuity, is that smoking is linked to other health conditions. And this is all part of a widening of this so-called impaired life annuity market, i.e. annuity providers are focusing more on anything that will reduce your life expectancy. Now, the reality is the older you get as a hardened smoker, the more likely it's, you'll have other health conditions as well. Yeah, we get the picture. That, I, that, I, won't, that, I won't mention your other issues. Yeah, thank, 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 thank you very much for that. <laughs> I, think um, I think it's fair to say that smoking is not good for your finances or your health, ultimately, in, lo- in the long term. But I wonder how they tell. Do they, can they test? Ah, well, well, I asked about this. But having worked, spent all too long in pubs, I said, well, you know, frankly, I feel like I've smoked... 10 a day for the past decade plus second hand. There's the usual self-declaration stuff and then there's a urine sample test and apparently they can tell with a, obviously a reasonable likelihood whether you're one of these so-called hardened smokers who I add are still several million people out there. So this is it is a declining, smoking continues to decline but there are still several million people defined if you like by this rather morbid industry as as hardened. But interestingly, they're also covering people who smoke a certain amount of rolled-up tobacco as well, but they're not covering cigar smokers or pipe smokers. Oh, right. So smoke your, smoke your cigar, yeah. but you, you get the same annuity, you get the same pension as someone who well, doesn't. Well, the question is whether you can go elsewhere. And this is the serious boring point for, um, that the annuity industry spend... Too many people just simply buy the annuity that's offered to them at retirement by their pension company. People need to shop around. They're contractually entitled to shop around now. It's something called the open market option, which is pretty much it sounds like. You can go and look across the whole market. And you should. There are 1,500 medical conditions now that could enhance your rate. And the rather sort of worrying statistics are that two-thirds of people don't shop around and yet four out of ten people could potentially benefit from one of these impairments, including couples. So you could be married to a heavy smoker and benefit from that better rate because your husband or wife might be not around as long as you might like. Indeed. John, just finally on this, um, uh, a lot of people nowadays think annuities are a bad deal. 
don't I don't want to buy one immediately in retirement. I want to go into income drawdown or something like that. Could this type of annuity be uh, the exception to that that general rule and be good value? Well, if you've got limited life expectancy, I suppose you want to cash in and get as much income as you can as soon as possible. Mm. I mean, the counter to that is annuity specialists say, if if you can delay, do delay because particularly if you're a smoker, your health is going to decline in all sorts of horrible ways. But I've got some really good bad news, Matthew, I do want to tell you, which is um, bad news for us anti-smoking fascists, yes. which is, that, of course, the real effects of this trend that you hardened smokers are getting a better deal is that the rest of us are no longer being subsidised. So we will get lower annuity rates than otherwise because you're getting higher annuity rates than otherwise. In the past, you were in the same pool as us and annuity providers knew this, knew that they were going to get rid of half a dozen smokers early. So, yeah, so hypothetically, if I smoked, I'm not saying that I do, I would do everyone a favour, including myself, if I were to stop immediately. Or carry on, <laughs> if, if you can afford it. OK, so, well, um, the, 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 there's some altruism at the heart of this somewhere and I'm not entirely sure which, which route is the best one uh, to go down. And that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Do remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com and we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from Steve and John. Bye. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.